The Web Delix podcast exists to educate, illuminate, and inform. It does not provide medical advice or recommendations as to any course of treatment, mental health or otherwise. You should always consult with a physician or other licensed healthcare professional, mental health or otherwise, before pursuing any personal growth program or course of treatment. The future of mental health treatment and peak performance enhancement is here. Welcome to the WebDelix podcast, brought to you by WebDelix, your trusted resource for plant medicine information on the web. By sharing real stories, expert interviews, and honest conversations, we're here to go beyond the myths and get to the truth. Here's your host, Scott Mason. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the WebDelix podcast, where we're on a journey to find out the truth about plant medicine, get rid of the myths, and change the narrative. I'm your host, Scott Mason, and with us today is a very special guest, Nathaniel Brown. Nathaniel is the founder of This Functional Life and Wellness, a personal development brand geared towards teaching and leading others into a new perspective. And Nathaniel also describes himself as a man learning how to human. And the fact, Nathaniel, that you chose to describe yourself that way goes as to a lot of why I am so excited to have you on the show. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad we were able to connect. I know it's been a long time coming, but uh, we're here and we're going to make some impacts. I know we are. And I will just respond to that by saying your episode was one of the ones that I knew had to happen from the very, very first days that this podcast was conceptualized. You and I had a conversation right when I had just signed the contract to do this before any episodes had been taped. And I knew then that this person was someone that I was going to interview and that was going to truly change the perspective of a lot of audience members. And the topic of today's episode is something that I feel passionately about. You know, Part of why the psychedelic and plant medicine revolution is being touted as having such significance is because it brings people into a sense of connection with themselves, with others. It helps resolve things like trauma, PTSD, depression, addiction, and a whole lot of other afflictions that are plaguing our society. And yet there are significant communities that have not really been part of the central dialogue with regard to psychedelics and plant medicine that are in perhaps more dire need of what it has to offer than anyone. And by that, I'm referring to the African-American community. You know, maybe we'll talk about this for a minute. I was raised in the black church and it was a fundamentalist black church. And there was a lot of sensitivity that folks had, I think rightfully so, during the days of the war on drugs around how black people were perceived and portrayed in the media or by politicians with regards to drugs. In addition, though, realistically, and there's a lot of data to back this up, there is trauma that is associated with being black, just being black in this world. And so that goes as to a lot of the feeling states that I have about making sure that all of the communities that could be 
benefiting from psychedelics really have the ability to hear their voices heard and concerns that are specific to them addressed. Before we go any further, can you relate to anything that I just said? And if so, I'd love to hear what those thoughts are. Yeah, I mean, look, (laughs) we have a deep, complex history, Black people in general. All of us have a deep, complex history because, as you mentioned, slavery played a big part of it. And there's a lot of misconceptions around how the slavery happened. And we think of things very one-dimensionally. We think it was only Europeans that were enslaving Black people. And that's the only way we see it because it's the only way we are taught it. And that is why we are so divided. We are divided because everyone has bought in, sunk their teeth in, into one narrative, hook, line, and sinker, and no one believes anything in the middle. And the more you start to uncover things, you realize that we kind of all are going through our own Mm -hmm. deconstruction process with us trying to unburden ourselves from these past traumas and things of that nature. I know my culture is big into of into the church, the religious world, the yeah. spirituality. Much of what we have as spirituality in today came from African people. That's where we get most of our spiritual practices. And so there is a, a deep-rooted seed of how to connect, how to truly connect with your fellow man, how to connect with the planet, how to connect with the heavens. And they're finding that these alternative avenues are helping to reconnect us in so many ways. I hope that answers some of what you were talking through. I think it more than answers it. And it raises another issue, which is in North America, particularly the United States, which is where both you and I are from, the cultural and political divisions seem more stark and dramatic than ever. And a lot of these divisions, I think only the most naive people in the world would argue are would or only the most naive people would disagree with the statement that a lot of these divisions are at least partially maybe even significantly driven by right. disconnect between communities based on yeah. race that's it i don't even yeah. need to say a lot I mean, more about about that yeah i mean <laughs> that's spot on it's it's it was it was the portuguese that created the idea of white people and created that whole racial divide. And when the Portuguese decided to introduce racism to the European world the way they did, I mean, it just took off from there and became more and more violent. If we if we take the process of that back into ancient times, it was more like indentured servitude. Mm. It would, you know, you were being paid for maybe a lower wage, but for a lot of work being done. So there was some some work done. Now, it, the overlay is apartheid, where you weren't you were working, and your payment was that you weren't mm-hmm. fined for the work that you did, that for the materials that you had to borrow, and uh, that was during the time of sharecropping. But we can get into some of that as well. But it's just there's no nice way to put it. I mean, like the real deal is this world is a shitty mess and it's a shitty mess because we are buying into the disconnect narrative. Talk to me a little bit about your own background and how that disconnect narrative may have impacted your life growing up. Yeah. Well, I grew up in the South. I grew up in South Carolina, born and raised, of course, Georgetown, South Carolina, to be exact. So it's about 35, 40 minutes from Myrtle Beach and about 50 minutes from Charleston. So we kind of nestled right in the middle, right along the PD River. It was sort of an industrial town. There was a paper mill, steel mill. And of course, you know, that just lets you know what the water quality was going to be after Mm. a while with all the the stuff dumping into into the waterways. But life in the 80s was, it was different. If you were born 
60s, 70s, and 80s, you were just built different by the time the 2000s came because we didn't have a lot, but we did the most with what we had. It was more community oriented in some of the cases where we live, you know, every mother knew knew mm-hmm. each other, all the fathers knew each other, the cousins knew each other from cross town, whatever, what have you. And it made it so that we had a nice little network there. And the problem is when you have tight networks like that, things can happen within the network that no one's willing to deal with. So in my case, by the time I was eight years old, I had been sexually molested, but because I was in this network, mm-hmm. there was no one to tell that I can actually, that can actually, I can go to, to pull me aside and, and have that one-on-one with. Everything was going to be echoed so much that there was mm-hmm. no privacy. There was no, no confidentiality in that. So I lived most of my life carrying this thing. I couldn't tell my parents. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell anyone. So 30 some odd years later, I find myself, you know, on my mom's lap crying, just unburdening myself. And the racial tension, that's one side of my story, the racial tension in the town I grew up with, it was there, but it was Mm -hmm. subtle. You can see the differentiation between one street and another. You go down the street that I live on, the houses are pretty mediocre. One block over and you've got an entirely different tax bracket. Like literally I can throw a rock at the next house across the, the block and you've got, so you can, ne- you knew what part of town mm-hmm. you were in, no matter mm-hmm. where you went. And that idea of, well, I'm not going to be as good mm-hmm. as this sinks into a young child's life when they only see that progress and success and, and happiness can only be on the other mm-hmm. side of who he is. Right? So it, it's sort of a disidentification, a misidentification of my own well-being. And it wasn't that my father didn't work and it wasn't that my mother didn't work and they, they worked hard. But I was watching what thriving looked like on one side of the street and I was living in survival. And most black families, most African families here in the States, they were raised by people who taught them to survive. We weren't raised by individuals who taught us to thrive because that's not the world that they were formed by. The world that formed the previous generation is not the same world that I live in. And because I know that, it gives me grounds for forgiveness. I could sit back and look at all the stuff that happened in my life and think it was everybody else's fault and I can, I can play that card. But in my intelligence, I have to think, what was the world like that formed them? And then I realized I was being raised in a perspective that they were still living in. One of the things that I have been honest about on this show from the very first episode, and I just use this as an opportunity to recommit to the audience that I will always be honest, is that I grew up in a household where the rules were very, very strict punishment was very <laughs> severe. Yes. Brutal, yeah, I think, is a severe, fair description. Right? And it was arbitrary sometimes, too. And thinking about the environment that I grew up in, I remember sometimes deciding to get sassy. 
with certain people in my family and say, well, my friends, I, I was one of very few African-Americans in the school district that I belong to. So there were a lot of white people there. And the way that their families disciplined them was totally different than what I experienced. And my parents would say, well, that's the way white people raise their children. We're not white. And thinking about this, well, I think about my family had come from the South originally, although I was raised in Kansas. And my father, in fact, was from Selma, Alabama, right? The heart of the civil rights movement. And in addition, they only could have learned their own patterns of behavior from the way that they were raised themselves. Integration wasn't old enough as a phenomenon for new patterns of behavior to have crossed over into things like child rearing. And so I get what you're saying about forgiveness and understanding, but how did this play into a plant medicine journey that you might have experienced? I, I certainly didn't end up that way. So what happened with what happened with you? Right. <laughs> right, right. It's a good question. So I had an experience with the plant medicine, I was kind of doing some research on it. And it was after an experience I had with cannabis, with hemp. And I would make a tea out of the hemp leaves. I would grind them up and make a tea out of them. And I'd drink them and then I'd have, and I'd, you know, just have a nice tea. And the first time it happened, I had this like alternative mm. reality experience. I had this crazy thing that happened. And I was like, almost like I was channeling or something like that, this experience. And I was thinking, hmm, And one of the things that was significant about that experience that ties into the next one was when I had this experience, I went into this emotional space where I could see myself, but I was as my father and I was also myself and my father was me. So it was one of those crazy switches. It was like a soul switch. And it was like, I can feel the emotions. You know how people, when they say they have an, a near-death yeah. experience and they can feel the emotional capacities and emotional expressions of everybody in the yeah. space all at one time, that's how it felt. I can feel his lack of confidence. I can feel his insecurity. I can feel his, I don't know what to do. I can feel that that there, but he did the best. I, I know that. And I can feel myself feeling mm-hmm. fearful and, fe- and crying and things of that nature. That happened. And then the scene switched. And we were before this huge ego. I mean, this it was like a it's like it took up the entire vision, if you will. And it was kind of seated. It's kind of seated on a stoop with his wing up like this, just kind of chilling. And my father, my father, I was in him, and he was one of the chicks that was coming up to this great ego and was complaining. All you heard was these tweets coming out of this, this little chick's mouth, and he was just complaining to the ego. And then the ego stoops down with his wings kind of caresses the chick, which is my father and myself, and then proceeds to say, hey, it's all right. You're all right. You're okay. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. Just run along and play. And it was at that moment I knew that everything was going to be okay. Now, that was the first experience, and I just bawled my eyes out because it was like this was the most powerful experience I'd had. Well, fast forward a few months later, or maybe a year later, And it just so happened to be that family was going out of town and I usually just clean the house up and just read and study and stuff when they're out of town. And I decided I had acquired some some plant medicine and I had decided to partake and I I learned all of the dosage and stuff like that. So the first thing I did was I got my space clean because I know that when you're dealing in things like that, energy 
matters. How you keep your space matters. You know, clutter, all that stuff is psychological. So I cleaned up the house and I ground up my substance, put it on a, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I ground up the... Sh- yeah, I put it on. I put it on. Somebody said you need to eat it with food, so I, I put the shrooms. I ground up the shrooms, put it on a, on a PBJ. I took it to the head, and I sat down. So I just sat down, and I started to get really quiet. And within a few fifteen minutes, thirty minutes or so, I can feel myself. I can feel like this rush of emotion. I could just feel it deep within me, and it was almost like I can hear it. You know, like a thunderstorm is moving in, the wind comes. That's what it felt like. You could just hear it. And I was like, oh, and I said to myself, oh boy, here we go. I just knew it. And I literally, Scott, I cried for three hours and 45 minutes. And it was this feeling of letting go of the hurt of abandonment. And I don't think people know how powerful abandonment is. But when you feel abandoned, it's almost like you've never been chosen. That's how, that's how deep the hurt of abandonment would, would go, is that I've never been important enough to be chosen, to be considered. Who and what, though, were you feeling abandoned with and by? For me personally, it was the childhood molestation. Because there was no one there, I always felt like I was alone in that. It wasn't talked about. I couldn't talk about it. So it was only echoing within myself. There was no one, nowhere to go. And, and that, that's what abandonment is. It's, there's nowhere to go. I can't go anywhere and talk about this thing that really is tearing me up inside because there's no one available. And one vision I saw of myself was myself sitting in my old room on a rusty box spring with my face in my palms crying at eight years old by himself. It was, the house was abandoned, no mm-hmm. furniture, no nothing. It was just an empty space. And that's how I felt in my soul. So that memory actually came up as that was happening. And then I would just see like hands going up and just shouting and shouting. And it was almost like I was crying for the abandonment of generations, not just mine. Because one thing I learned from an African teacher, it says our parents are laying to rest in the ground. Your ancestors are laying to rest in the ground, but they're buried in your genes. And because of that, all of their emotions are buried in your genes as well. Everything they've experienced, the hurts, the laughs, the cries, the joys, all of it is there. And while I was expressing, I was just crying out this, it was almost like a cleansing, Scott. It felt like I was being cleansed. And the freeing, now I started with the new perspective, but the freeing of all of that helped me to see the world differently and not from the abandoned space. It got me out of that rut where I, it was always me alone. It was like, no, I'm not alone. I've got the fact that I am a vessel for which ancestors could use to let go of pain from thousands of years. That lets me know that I'm not by myself here. That's indicative of there being a company, as Paul would say, a cloud of witnesses that are cheering me along. There was a T-shirt that I, that I acquired. I think my wife bought it for me. It says, I'm the prayer that the ancestors pray. I'm the answer to the prayer of my ancestors. Wow. So what if for that moment, just tears were enough to pay homage to the pains that I experienced, but also to the ones who came before me, who wants to use me 
as a vessel to express the hurts, the pains, the joys, the laughters, the thriving, the surviving. All of it is necessary because these tension and ebbs and flows are what keep heartbeats going. Anytime you see a flat line, you're not living. But the ebbs and flows. So when I was in that experience, I remember crying out and just saying to myself and choosing my experience. I was saying things in that experience and I was almost like prophesying my own experience as I was having it. What do you mean by that exactly? So I would say that I was going to be a certain height. It was like I was speaking to myself through the genetic line. I was going to be a certain race. I was going to be a certain type of personality. Like I was calling out all of my features, all of who I am, all of what you see here on this camera. I chose it. I saw the choosing. I saw the conception. I saw me in the womb being formed and I was saying it. This is fascinating to hear coming from you because as we referenced a little earlier, look, I was raised in the black church and the black church has a very, very specific, although there are different denominations, generally it has a very, very specific interpretation of the spiritual experience. And I would argue that this particular interpretation of <laughs> of the religious experience. It ain't I wasn't fit. here when I was growing up. I wasn't, I wasn't hearing anything like this at all. And so what you're saying may be alien to some of those who grew up in that tradition and who identify as a cultural matter with this. And on the one hand, it is perspective shifting. On the other hand, what would you say to someone who is hearing this and thinking, well, I might have suffered abandonment issues. I might have suffered this sort of abuse and felt like I couldn't tell anyone. I might have gone through a whole host of issues, but you're telling me to look at my whole spirituality differently. And for the African-American community, I would say that that spiritual grounding has such a hard-hitting and foundational impact on identity because, let's face it, the black church was what got people through slavery. It's what got us through the civil rights movement. It's almost, when I'm hearing this, like you're asking people to reframe the thing that enabled an entire community to survive. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. What I am saying is the tool has to be alchemized now. It has to be reformed. The hammer from tens of thousands of years ago is ineffective on a construction site today. Mm. It's the same hammer, but it has to be modified in a way that fits the psychology of the of the modern way. And I'm saying modern, not in the political sense, but in the now and in the here and now. And what I have found in the black church is there are a lot of people who are sitting in pews and they are imagining that they're getting healed by a being that they, they, they cannot confirm. Not many can say they've met this being, not many. I'm not saying that, that this being does not exist. There's way too many evidence, too much evidence on the table that says, yes, I'm an intellectual as well. But I see a lot of individuals who are not free, who are holding on to the thing that's enslaving them. If we looked at slavery and looked at the religious practices of slavery, most of what slaves couldn't read, They couldn't read and write English, right? So they spoke their own language. They were forbidden to speak their original language because their original language had in it the DNA of the God they served. And that God was helping them to thrive. When you fast forward and you 
overlay Catholicism and then you overlay all these other religious belief systems, you know, Anglo-Saxon Protestants and all this other stuff, but you overlay this Christian religion that's whitewashed over into slavery and you only pull out the verses that you're going to teach mm-hmm. them to memorize. Slaves obey your masters. If someone strikes you on the other one treat, yeah. you give them the other, right? All of the verses that were used were giving to them for memorization. And when they memorized those verses, that's what they thought the Bible was. So even then, the same tool needed to be remodified. When they got a hold of the Bible, Frederick Douglass read it, was like, wait a minute, this ain't the same thing we were being taught, and used that as grounds for freeing him from the very system that was supposed mm-hmm. to be enslaving him. So there's a remodification of the tool. Spiritual matters should always be moving forward. And we should always be experiencing it as a forward momentum, something pushing us into an expansive version of ourselves. That's what spirituality should be. And that's what these plant medicines are doing. They're expanding our spiritual perspectives. Because maybe I could not have shared this in the black church, but if I went on the Indian plantation reserves and I'd have shared this with an Indian chief, he'd just consider I had seen a shaman. It was normalcy because it was supposed to be normal. It was a part of our heritage to have contact with the deeper parts of ourselves and bring those things into a journey where we bring them back towards to the surface, healed, washed, clean, and ready to serve. There is a lot, and I mean a lot, in what you said. I then cannot help but react just i'm just going to start throwing out reactions here first of all one thing i've always felt and i know that this was a, a belief that has been is not unique to me that others have shared which is there is a tension between our community's historical devotion to the christian teachings particularly the inspirational story of exodus with the fact that this was a religion that was imported and brought by force onto these communities. And so there is a point to be made about seeking liberation from a and finding salve and comfort from a faith that was meant to oppress you. That's reaction mm-hmm. number one. Reaction number two goes back to what you talked about at the beginning of the hour, the idea of thriving and having this feeling that those that were on the other side of the street that you could throw a rock to their houses might have been thriving and you couldn't because of the fact that you were in the station and social position in life that you were born and raised in. And that goes as to then this theme of connection and disconnection Mm -hmm. and abandonment. Because in a sense, Mm -hmm. many people have argued, I would say not just in a sense, as a matter of hard fact, many would argue that socially, culturally, and certainly economically in North America, we have abandoned certain communities, particularly communities of color. And by the way, the people who have yep. abandoned these parts of these communities haven't just been white people. I mean, they, that they've certainly led right. a lot of the charge, but it's not like, you know, educated or successful African-Americans automatically move back to the inner city or parts of the community that are less economically right. prosperous. Right. Hearing me say right. these sorts of things, and then you going back to what you said, the image of the eagle, 
the symbol of the United States. I'm throwing out reactions. Talk to me a little bit about how you can put them together or if they can be put together at all in light of everything that you shared. I mean, the eagle is the, it's the animal of, of foresight. It's the animal that's always brought up as, the, as, a, as an image to represent seeing things into a deep way. I had an opportunity to do what's called a, a somatic healing session. And what they do is they put you in positions and moments of ecstasy that you've had in your memory. They put you back, you put your body back into that position so that you can re-experience those emotions. And then they activate certain other parts of your, your faculties, sight, hearing, all these other things. And I remember being in this session, I'm telling the story for a reason, and I was asked to look out the window. And I looked out the window and she said, what do you see? And she said, well, you know, if you do this, you'll be able to see deeper. And I could start to see in between the leaves of the trees and whatever I wanted to see was almost like it came at me. I looked at it and mm. it went back. So what the ego does is it has what we call, you know, pun intended, the bird's mm -hmm. eye view. It sits up in that upper realm and it soars there and it takes a snapshot of everything and then it starts pulling out experiences. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And putting them back in their place. It's never removing them with their sight. It's always seeing them where they are. So the ego sitting in its high place, talking to father, uh, son, me, as if it's already seen where we are and just saying, you're just exactly where you need to be. Have you had plant medicine journey since then? And if so, what has their impact on your life been? Ooh, I have. And every time I have gone into that deep inner space, I guess that we're calling the void now. I kind of like that. It's certainly dramatic. <laughs> it's very dramatic. It's, it's called the void. It's like an all creative space. It's, it's like the it's like blank slate. You can create from that place. Thoughts, thought, and those things. That's the thinking stuff that Wallace D. Waddles talked about in his book, Science of Getting Rich. But I have, and I got some interesting downloads around things like intimacy and understanding what stress really is and knowing about the fact that I'm a type of person who has come here in this day and time to set the record straight on things and to give people hope and to offer them a new way of thinking that's beyond time and space almost. Do you think, particularly in light of what you just said about being the person who has a purpose and a mission to share something and to change some perspectives, that there is a larger place for psychedelic use or plant medicine engagement within the African-American community? And if so, what might that look like? And what would the impact of that be? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there are groups right now that are doing this. They're, they're going on like healing journeys. They go and, they, and they're using shrooms to do it. And a lot, of, a lot of them have taken on the role of shamans. A lot of the leaders in some of these groups have taken on the roles of shamans. And they're going in, in, in nature. They're going out, I think, in, out in Oakland, California right now. I think back in what, December 2021, 22? Yeah, December 2022, they had a group of African Americans who had gone out in Oakland and they were having ceremonies. And their protest, the, it literally is called, this is our protest. And their, their protest to racism 
is healing from the trauma of slavery. What bigger gut punch to a system of degradation could there have been than to say, you know what? The hell with all this bullshit. I'm not going to fight you no more. I'm going to heal. I'm speechless. <laughs> it's powerful. These, these plant medicines are no joke, especially when you do it in the right sense, when you have the right motive. I'm not talking about teeny boppers mm -hmm. and kids taking it and talking about how high they got. I'm talking about individuals who understood what the power of the plant. When you take a mushroom, you're taking in the information of the entire mycelium connection network. Mycelium is interconnected underground and like a web. It almost looks like a web. When a mushroom grows out of the ground, when a mushroom like that grows out of the ground, it's bringing with it all of its ancestry. So why not take something that brings all of your ancestry to the present? Well, and that was one of the great cruelties of slavery was that it separated people from their own history. When I was in junior high, yeah. we were supposed to do a family tree exercise and I couldn't get back further than my grandparents because my grandfather, his parents were in slavery. He didn't even know who they, who he couldn't even really recall a lot about yeah. who they were. And there was obviously a certain point at which there were gonna be no records anyway. And many right. of my classmates were able to go back clear to foreign countries, all of them claimed, by the way, to somehow or another be descended from German or British royalty. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah. were there yeah. any peasants in Europe yeah. at all? <laughs> but but right. in any event, right. then what you're also talking about is healing, again, through connection to the ancestry itself and removing what was really a profound and from a group perspective that we don't talk about as much or maybe even really consider about a trauma that was faced by yeah. our community. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying that when black people get over the, and I'm going to say this really, really, I'm going, to, I'm going to be very candid. When black people get over the white man's religion and they get in touch with their true spirituality, their true Africanism, when black people get back to that, and the slaves, the slave masters knew it. That's why they put these little razor bladed mouth guards on the women's mouths and cover and taught them not to speak their own language because their language held with it the spiritual practices of their ancestry, of their communities. They knew how these women knew how to cast spells and people would drop dead. They knew it. So they, they made it so they was painful to speak in the language of your own spiritual dispositions. And you had to embrace a level of degradation. You had to be less than when you were equal to in another place. The connection with one's spirituality, I'm hearing you say, one's authentic spirituality then, is a connection to your own inner power. Damn right. Nathaniel, that's potentially revolutionary. It sounds innocuous, but when you think about the implications, that's very incendiary. Mm -hmm. It is. Because the spirit, your spirituality is what's coming up out of you. Anything that's spiral ritual, aspire means to breathe. It means to, to, to blow air. Ritual is what you do. So your spiral ritual or your spiritual journey is what you do with your breath and how you speak, how that breath moves across your vocal cords and vibrates the vocal cords so that you utter sound. How that sound comes out is determined by you and you alone and whatever you're connecting yourself to. So if you're connecting yourselves and we're connecting ourselves to things that take us down, that, that, that tell us we're less than, that tell us we're not, we can't do this, we can't do this, the color of your skin won't, won't afford you this, this, that, and the third, and we start narrating those things ourselves, 
then we're always going to be slaves. And the person that's really doing the most enslaving of us is ourselves. We got to let that, we got to let that spirituality free, be free to discover some of these things. I mean, my gosh, I'm, I'm in my forties and I'm discovering things about my own heritage that I love. I love it. Like you can't take this shit away from me, Scott. You can't take this shit away. Like nobody can preach this shit out of me because it's here and it's working and it's helping. I can't make a testimony to meeting a man named Yeshua and all this other stuff because that's not been my reality. That's not been where I lived. It was me in the dark. You're saying nothing less extraordinary than that plant medicines can open the door to completely changing the face of race relations in the United States. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I'll make that claim. Because if you're healed, then there's no racism. If you're healed, there's just humanism. Nathaniel, I'm taking away from this conversation many things. I'll just throw out a few of them right now. First of all, that the spirituality that we may have grown up with many cases, not just within the African-American community, but perhaps folks in other communities as well, may not be serving the needs of individuals walking around this planet right now who are in need of spirituality and that plant medicines offer a potential opportunity to reconnect there. I'm hearing that plant medicines offer us the ability to have a bird's eye view of the entire situation that we're in. I'm hearing based on the story that you told me very early in the hour, as well as some of the threads throughout things that you've said since, that it allows us to potentially connect with each other in a way that is more global and that can even survive disruption. I am hearing that there may be nothing more profound in terms of its possible impact upon what's been called America's original sin, racism, than by walking through the doors that plant medicine offers. What would you like to add, if anything, as a final thought in this episode? I would just say surrender. Surrender everything you know. Because as one voice came to me, 10 years ago almost. What if everything you think, everything you think is true is complete bullshit? That's what started me on the journey. That was 10 plus years ago. I heard those words while I was eating dinner and it came out of me. And based on everything that you've said, I think we know what the answer to that question is. Nathaniel, how can people find out more about you? Oh, man, if you want to go to my website, www.theperspectivecoach.us, you can also find me on Instagram at The Real Nathaniel Brown. I'm on TikTok there as well, at The Real Nathaniel Brown. I'm on LinkedIn. You can just type in the LinkedIn stuff and do The Perspective Coach, and that'll come up on LinkedIn as well. So those are the kind of places that I kind of really hang out, but mostly on Instagram, and I'm just kind of doing this Reels thing 
just uploading a few videos every once once in a while and uh, starting to get some traction on that. But yeah, that's the best way to connect with. I love it. And one of the things I enjoy about following you on Instagram and LinkedIn is that you engage with your followers, with your fans like me. <laughs> I do. I do. I do. I do follow back for the most part. And I do. If you post something that I think is awesome, I'll either, I'll either share it or I'll like it or I'll comment on it or something to give you some of that digital currency back. You definitely do. Nathaniel, it has been extraordinary having you on the episode today. I want to thank you so much. For those of you who are listening to or watching Webdelix, keep tuning in because in upcoming episodes, we're going to be talking about the relationship of psychedelics to everything from yoga to leadership to the aging process is an astounding lineup of episodes we have coming and every one of them is going to blow your mind. If you have enjoyed today's episode and want to learn more, be sure to subscribe to this podcast, leave a review or a comment if you're watching it on YouTube, and then be sure to tell the folks that you care about everything that we're doing. And don't forget to follow Webdelics on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. And be sure to check out our website at webdelics.com. That's W-E-B-D-E-L-I-C-S dot com. And then sign up to get our blog right into your mailbox for the most up-to-date and trusted information about psychedelics and plant medicine on the web. In the meantime... Be sure to join us next time for another episode of the Webdelix Podcast. Delix podcast exists to educate, illuminate, and inform. It does not provide medical advice or recommendations as to any course of treatment, mental health or otherwise. You should always consult with a physician or other licensed healthcare professional, mental health or otherwise, before pursuing any personal growth program or course of treatment.